Ladies and gentlemen, a formal welcome to Daily Power Parsha, a.k.a. PG Parsha, on Mondays where we gather together and enjoy good food from the spicy peach. Great to have you guys with me here, live and local. Great to have you guys with me online. Um, I'm going to share my screen. Let's open up the Torah reading. Torah portion this week is Kitavo. And you can find it, well, on the screen, it's on the screen, but in the Chumash, I'm actually going to grab a copy, another copy for myself, so that I can be on the same page. Um, let's see what page we're on over here. We're getting close to the end. We're getting close to the end of the, uh, of the Torah, final few, final few Torah portions. Yeah, it's, uh, it's that time of year. We're going to continue around three, right? Ah, hopefully. That's the plan, yeah. All right, 1294, 1295. If you have the Chumash, 1294, 1295. Parshas ki savo, or parshat ki tavo, depending on your pronunciation. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse number one, it begins like this. It will be, or what will happen is, when you come into the land, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you for an inheritance and you possess it and settle in it. So it, we have a bit of a different translation. What will happen is when you enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, you shall take possession of it and settle in it. So here we have the opening statement, which is a statement that you'll find very often in the book of Deuteronomy. Because Moses, just the context is Moses is speaking to his people shortly before he passes away and shortly before they're going to enter the land of Israel. And so he's telling them, Ki when you come to the land. So these are the laws that you need to know on the ground in Israel. I won't be there to tell you these things, so I'm telling it to you now. Don't forget. Keep these in mind. Do not forget. So what is the mitzvah? What is the first mitzvah? We have here the mitzvah of Bikurim. Bikurim are the first fruits. So the Torah says, Moses tells the people, verse number two, you shall take of the first of all the fruit on the ground. Again, page 1294, 1295, you should take the fruit of all the fruit on the ground, which you will bring from your land, which the Lord your God has given you, and you shall put them into a basket and go to the place which the Lord your God will choose to have his name dwell there. Basically, you're going, you're taking your farmer. You take the first fruits, you put them batana, you put them in a basket, and you go to the place that God will choose, which means Jerusalem. That refers to Jerusalem and the temple. And then what? So now you're, you've got your basket, you've got your fruit in the basket. So now what do you do? Verse number three: You should come to the you should you shall come to the kohen to the priest, who will be serving in those days. And you should say to him the following. This is the declaration. I am declaring, I declare this day to the Lord, your God, that I have come to the land which the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. So basically the declaration is, I have come to the land that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, etc. God promised to our people. And, I, and now this is, well, you, you didn't finish the declaration, but the first part of the declaration is, I've come to the land. That's opening statement number one. Then, verse number four, the priest, the Kohen, takes the basket, will take the basket from your hand, and
And what does he do? He then waves it, Rashi says. He waves it up and down and front, up, down, right, left, front, back. Maybe not that order, maybe a different order, but all six directions. Boom, 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 boom. Kind of like when we shake the lulav in the asterisk, in the sukkah. You go all four directions, right? All six directions, sorry, four directions plus up and down. So the same thing is done here with the basket, with the basket of the fruit. And then the Kohen takes the basket from your hand and he lays it before the altar of the Lord your God. He places it before the altar of God, of God your God. So he takes the basket with the fruit and puts it in front of the altar. Now what was the altar? Just to remind us, the altar was the place where the sacrifices were brought. So it had a ramp up and it was a platform and that's where all the offerings were brought. Let's continue. Verse 5, the declaration continues. So there was an open, again, the farmer brings the basket and says, I've come to the land that God promised. The Kohen takes, waves the basket with you, takes the basket from you, and now you make, you're the farmer, you make another declaration. You continue the declaration. Verse number 5, you shall say before the Lord, you shall call out and say before the Lord, your God, Arami Oved Avi, an Aramean. Love on the Aramean. Sought to destroy my forefather Jacob. And Jacob went down to Egypt and sojourned there with a small number of people, 70. And there he became a great, mighty, and numerous nation. Of course, we know that the Jewish people became very populous in Egypt. And that is the declaration that is happening. Verse number six, And the Egyptians treated us cruelly and afflicted us, and they imposed hard labor upon us. So we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression. Verse number eight, And the Lord brought us out from Egypt with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, with great awe and with signs and wonders. So up until now, basically, the farmer is giving a history lesson, right? We started off on very shaky ground. Number one, this guy Laban, remember Laban? Jacob's uncle? Mm -hmm. Laban tried to like preempt any Jewish history from ever, from ever happening. He tried to destroy my, my uh, great, great, great whatever grandfather, Jacob. Then he survived and he came to Egypt. And in Egypt he encountered more hardship. There was a pharaoh who wished to destroy our people. Right? We were, we were treated cruelly and afflicted by the Egyptians. Harsh labor upon us. God heard, God saw, and God took us out. The Exodus. And now we come to the, the upshot of this declaration. Verse number 9. And he brought us to this place, and he gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And finally, verse number 10, the declaration of the farmer concludes and he says, and now behold, I have brought the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given to me. That is the end of the declaration. So basically the farmer says, we had humble beginnings, now we're in the land, thank God that we have our own land, thank God I am in this land, and these are the fruits, and now I'm giving back the fruits. To you, God, to you, Kohen, 
I'm bringing back the first of the fruit. And then the Torah continues. So what, what does the farmer do? Then you shall lay it before the Lord your God and prostrate yourself before the Lord your God. So you, you, you place it and you bow down before God. Verse 11. And once that is done, then, verse 11, then you will rejoice with all the good that the Lord your God has granted you and your household, you, the Levite, and the stranger, or the convert who is among you. This is how the reading ends. And I, you know, usually we, I, I, I kind of interrupt the reading with, with some commentary, which I'm going to give you commentary in a moment. But for the first thing, first is, first thing is first, I wanted to give an overview of this process and declaration. And basically the process is the farmer who's successful in Israel, or even not successful, whatever, whatever level of success there is. If stuff grows, you take the first and you bring it. Now, how did you know which is the first? Ah, oh, how do you know the first? So the farmers would go out to the fields and they would wait for stuff to blossom and bud and, you know, and, and become fruit. And they would take a string or some sort of marking, today probably tape or something, whatever, and they would mark that first fruit. And that would become the first fruit that they would put into the basket and bring to the temple. Is it every year? Every single year. Yes, excellent question. Sandrine is asking, is that on an annual basis? The answer is yes. It's not the first time you plant your field. The first, this is on an annual basis. And, and essentially, this is, it's pretty unanimous amongst the commentaries what the purpose is. The purpose is gratitude. Acknowledging where the blessing comes from. Because it's not my land. I didn't put myself here. I didn't rescue myself from Egypt. I didn't make it grow myself because of my ingenuity. What I make the land grow because I put a seed in the ground that should grow? Who decided that? Me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Who gave the earth the power to grow in the first place? It's God. The whole thing is God. The fact that I'm here is God. The fact that, that seeds work, the fact that the earth works, that it grows. Everything is God. So we, we, the Torah has this built-in protocol for the, for the farmer that when stuff starts growing, you bring it back, you bring it to the temple, and you make a declaration, you, a verbal, not just I feel gratitude in my heart. No, a verbal declaration. You have a script. Arami Ovedovi. My father, an Aramean, sought to destroy my forefather. And then you rescued us, God. And then we were in Egypt, and you rescued us. And not only did you rescue us and dump us somewhere, you brought us to a land flowing with milk and honey. And you gave me this great opportunity for this great land that produces amazing fruit. And here's some of the fruit. And I want to say thank you. That's the declaration. And I love the fact that the Torah says that after you declare that, after you state that, and after you place the basket down, then you can really rejoice with all the good. What does that mean? On a simple level, it means you can't eat. In halacha, you can't eat any of the other fruit until you brought the first fruit to the temple. So everything becomes in a holding pattern. You cannot eat from that other fruit before you do the mitzvah of Bikurim and bring the first fruits. So that's on a simple level. So once you do that, then then you can enjoy everything else. But there's a much deeper idea. And that deeper idea is, as long as we don't, so long as we don't have gratitude, we can't really enjoy the blessings that we have. If we have, and I, I mentioned this in another Torah class a few weeks ago, if we have expectations, right? I expect this. Oh, the, the fact that the fruit grew, of course it grew. I planted it. Of course it grew. So then you're not going to be happy. 
because it's expectations. The best that can happen is meeting expectations, and the worst is your expectations aren't met, and then you're, then you're unhappy. But what's producing happiness, right? As long as we hold on to expectations, then wherein lies the happiness? Where, what sparks the joy, right? If it works out, obviously it was supposed to. If it doesn't, I can't believe it didn't work out. So then where is the joy at? Yeah. What about the seventh year when you don't plan? Good. The seventh year reminds us who's really in charge. Good. Good. That's another way agriculturally. And, and we should remember that, that Jews then in, in ancient Israel, or I mean, they, were, they weren't yet there, but about to go into ancient Israel, were going to become a very agricultural society. Most Jews were essentially farmers, right? Most were working the land and living off the land. I mean, you had some that were seafaring merchants. Um, famously, Zavulun, Zebulun, their, their trade was to be a seafaring merchant. Um, to be seafaring merchants, but by and large, the Jews were very much agriculturally based, land-based. And so there are many reminders of God within the, within the work. The first fruit, bring to, bring to, bring to God, bring, give to the Kohen. Um, Is that equivalent in today's non-agrarian? Yeah, what's the equivalent? Prayer, hopefully. Right? We pray every day, three times a day, to remind ourselves of where the blessings are coming from. I'm not saying they didn't pray, but I, you know, in the absence of a temple, that's what we have. Although we still have the sabbatical year restrictions, as we spoke about. By the way, this year is a Shemitah year. This year is a sabbatical year. Oh, yeah? And I was going to ask you. Nice. And said her, her garden, she's also going to give a sabbatical. I did. It's been all Wow, nice. So, do I, after... I mean, look, you don't have restrictions outside of Israel. The restrictions are in Israel. So it depends on whatever you decide. And it's like, these are your rules. I mean, it's like, you know, um, in Israel, when did they start going, going at it? Uh, I don't know. I would have to look up the, the current protocol of, of how they're doing it. I'm not sure. You could probably Google it and find out. Um, but yeah, the sabbatical year was another form agriculturally of, of reminding ourselves where the blessings are coming from. This one, though, for me, it's really about that last line, verse 11, What sparks, I'm Mary, Mary, Marie condoing this conversation, what sparks joy? Right? What sparks joy? Or what, what sparks joy is when we recognize that we're not owed anything. Life doesn't owe us anything. Right? We deserve, we deserve it. Everything goes downhill once we decide we deserve something. The moment we decide we deserve something, that's when everything, relationships, happiness, everything goes right downhill. The, when we live in wonder of like, like, this is amazing. Like, I don't deserve life. I, I, I'm so grateful for having life, for having, being able to take a breath, being able to, to, whatever it is that we have, right? When I live in wonder, I'm living with happiness. This is embedded in the, the cycle of agriculture, in the life, the annual life of a, of, a, of a farmer, is this wonder where you remind yourself, and verbally, it's not enough to think it in your head, because thoughts in your head only go so far to like impact you. 
There's a power in verbalization. And we know this today, right? If you Self-help books will tell you to write something down, to create a gratitude journal, or to look in the mirror and actually say what you're grateful for. Right? These are things that are, are ancient Torah ideas. You take the fruit, you go to the temple, and you make a declaration. And you remind yourself of how precarious the origins were, and how blessed you are today, and that God is the one who's giving you the blessing. When we were looking for Airbnb in Israel, uh, I remember that a lot were saying you will have a fruit uh, basket of fruit when you arrive. So maybe this is related. Sandrine is saying that when she was looking into booking uh, an Airbnb in Israel, so there were several of them, many of them that that were talking about uh, one of the perks of booking is that you get a fruit basket, a basket of fruit upon arrival. It seems like it's an ancient, uh, a w- ancient way to extend whatever it is. Love, gratitude, hospitality, yeah, not a, not a bad thing. What's interesting is there's an interesting law regarding the basket itself, right? The, question, the Talmud asked the question, what happens with the basket? So you, you, the, you brought the first fruits, you had to bring it in a basket. So you brought, a, brought the fruit in a basket, so when you're done, who gets the basket? The Talmud says like this. If it's a wealthy farmer and it's a gold or silver basket, then you place it down, the coin takes the fruits, and you take your basket home. But if it's a poor farmer and a simple basket, then the basket is left. And then the commentaries wonder, unbelievable. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Unbelievable, right? The rich guy's basket, right? He gets to keep, right? Not a donation. And the poor guy's basket, struggling for the, to, you know, to put something together, he has to donate. Unbelievable. How, how is this fair? The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. But Hasidus, Kabbalah, Jewish mystical tradition, tells us something completely different about this or completely eye-opening about this. And that is... You know, in life, there's fruit and there's basket. There's what we do and how we do it. And so the wealthy persona is one in which what we do, it's when the mitzvah is done at the end of the day, but maybe the vehicle was filled with a little bit of ego, a little bit of uh, pride or arrogance. And when, when the vehicle is filled with pride, arrogance, and ego, so the mitzvah is still a mitzvah. At the end of the day, mitzvah is done. But you don't give the basket. The basket's not holy. The basket would be the vehicle in this case. The vehicle of the ego is uh, the wealthy ego. In other words, the, the big ego. I'll give, give you a simple example. Somebody helps. I'm going to give like a vague example now. Somebody helps someone else out. But they do it for self-interest. So did they do a mitzvah? Sure, they did a mitzvah. They helped you know, someone, let's say, needs help packing boxes to move. So you helped them. Done, you did a mitzvah. It's not a question, you did a mitzvah. But let's say you did it for your own self-interest. Okay, so the vehicle is not so holy. The end result is holy. The vehicle is not so holy. So what, what elevates to become a mitzvah? Only what you did and not how you did it. Fine. That's like the basket. 
That's a basket where the fruits are holy, the fruits are the offering, but you take back your basket because that's your ego. The gold or silver basket, it's the one adorned with wealth and, and, and riches. That's ego and that's yours. But when we do a mitzvah like the pauper, like the poor person, in other words, you do it in a way of sincerity and simplicity. right? We do it in a way of humility. We don't do it in a way of arrogance. So in that case, even the vehicle, the method, how you did the mitzvah, is also holy. And that also elevates as an offering to God. Anyway, something to think about. So again, on a simple level, yeah, you take the poor person's basket and you leave the rich person's basket. doesn't seem fair. On a deeper level, what it means is that when we do a mitzvah from a place of poverty, in other words, from a place of humility, then everything about the experience is holy. Not, not only the fruit, but also the basket. The way we deliver the mitzvah also becomes holy. As opposed to when we do a mitzvah out of wealth and arrogance, then it becomes a little bit different. What we did is good, but how we did it may be not so, not so holy. Does that make sense at all about the basket? Yeah. Remind me which like, part of uh, the, the one of the four. Ah, that's right. Sandrine reminded me in, in the movie Gu'ula, Redemption. Yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. So he was, there was a guy that was in fin struggling financially and it was a, a group of friends that were partnering together to help out this guy. Um, and one of them was, you know, doing some stuff financially to help this guy, but kind of orchestrated in a way where he didn't know that it was coming through this guy, which is nice, but part of him was doing it for himself, not only to help out the other guy. Part of it was doing it for his own ego and not only for the mitzvah of tzedakah. And the guy got very upset. Like, you didn't really want to help me. It was really about yourself. And What about the woman? She, hers was even more contrived. You know, he have ended up not taking her money. The woman... Oh, the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she, she, her relationship... Right, exactly. Right. Without, so without giving too much plot away, I don't know that anyone's going to, like, be upset. Although, you know, I don't think it's going to be... It's a problem. But without giving too much away either way, the bottom line here is that when a mitzvah is done, a mitzvah is done. If you help someone else out, it, that, you cannot take that away. But the question is, is the basket holy? Is th how you did it, is that also holy or was that uh, a little questionable? So the Torah is saying, when it's holy, when you do a mitzvah with sincerity and humility, which is likened to the poor person's offering, it's not literally poor, but it's, it's ego poor, Right? It's, 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 it's bereft of ego and adornment and pride. Then the basket also is given. Everything is pure. But if we adorn it with our pride, then only the fruit is holy, but the basket is the ego. So if the rich man borrows a basket from his poor neighbor <laughs> and brings his stuff, good, he's good. got this beautiful suit and tie but Rabbi, in the oh, once, hold on one second. So, so Dan is asking, so what happens if the rich guy borrows a basket from the poor guy and he brings the, he, he's dressed to the nines, and, but he's bringing a simple basket? It's a good question. I, my understanding would be, I don't know. Does it go by the person or by the basket? I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, that's that, Honestly, the, the, this case, 
as being explored in the Talmud would probably be called the basket case. <laughs> I think we should not make a <laughs> Sorry, I, could, I couldn't hold myself back. I what was think saying? we should not make a distinction. You think all baskets should be accepted or yeah, not accepted? Then, uh, then you're judging, be, right. Yeah. So Sindrina is like, it's not fair to pick and choose which baskets are holy, which are not. But look, I think the beauty of this is, look, it's all... It's all kind of metaphorical. Like literally there was a thing that if it's a gold basket, you don't leave it. Simple basket, you leave it. Now maybe on a simple level, it's because maybe the, the temple didn't want gold and silver baskets because they had whatever they needed, just simple basket they could use for utility purposes, but not something too, too fancy, you know? Something, something, sometimes something more simple kind of blends in as opposed to something more innate. Maybe that was the, the reasoning on a simple level. But on a spiritual level, it's not about picking or choosing. It's not about judging anyone else. It's about us knowing that when we do a mitzvah, let's do it more sincerely as opposed to look at me, look what I've done. Although, if that's what it takes, all right, at least you did a mitzvah. All right, yeah, Donna, jump yeah, in. I was just thinking, but, you know, in the movie, the gentleman that did, you know, finance behind the scenes, yeah. I mean, he was thinking he was protecting the other people. You know, you've, you've right. spoken in the past that right. you don't want the the to give charity to let the people know you're giving charity you know you want right. to protect their right esteem right so one could argue that the guy in the movie who was kind of orchestrating things pulling the strings behind the scenes was protecting the dignity of the guy who needed the money so that he didn't think he was just getting handouts he thought he was working for it and i agree with you you're right so maybe you could say good maybe you could say that it's actually a holy experience and the holiest form and not ego. Good, good. I like that. Sarah. We should be, we should be like humble enough to accept right aid, too. I For mean, sure. Support. We should be system. open to receiving. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Good. Sarah. It reminds me of the uh, Torah where, it, you know, serve Hashem with joy. Yes. We have to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was serve God with joy. The idea here is that there's a, there's a power in that sincerity, not only what you do, but how you do it. And how you do it can go a long way into that kind of divine acceptance, so to speak. Beautiful. All right, we have, let's, let's do a second reading so that we're up to date with our, um, with our readings. Because today is Monday, so really, Shaney, the second reading is applicable for today. So we're doing, we're caught, we, we caught up now with Sunday, now let's jump to Monday. I'm going to share my screen once again. Let's jump back inside. Um, I, I think the bottom line of this is that Bikurim is really a beautiful mitzvah. To me, it's like, it's like so beautiful. Oh, also, I, let me add one more point about this before we, we, we turn the pages, so to speak, and, and move on to the second reading. Bikurim is not just to give of your fruit to God, but the first fruit. And this becomes a lesson in life that the first which is like the best, the choicest, we should dedicate to something higher, something greater than ourselves. So for example, when we think about our day, we could really carve out any time of the day to let's say pray to God. But the ideal is the first part of the day, in the morning. Why? I mean, hopefully, because in the morning we're the most fresh, we're, you know, we just woke up, we're not jaded yet by the day. So what's the first thing that we do? We tend to our own stuff or we tend to God stuff. Bikurim, first fruits. Yes, you could have given God the tenth fruit, but the first is nicer. 
So we should give also God our first attention, whether it's in the day or the first of our energies or the best of our, you know, when we do a mitzvah, it should be done in the best way and not in a, you know, uh, you know, not, not in a way that lags behind, not, not lagging behind anybody else, but for ourselves, should be done, everything should be done first class, so to speak. All right, second reading is Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse number 12. Let's jump in. Ah, so in the English, Chumashim, it's going to be 1299 in your Gutnik edition. Um, the tithe declaration. Here we go. This is something we spoke about before regarding the midst of tithing. Now, tithing is different than what we just spoke about. Let's, uh, let's explain. Tithing is another mitzvah that deals with agriculture, but, but it's very different. Tithing is tithing, and bikurim is bikurim. Meister is meister, bikurim is bikurim. Two different things. Bikurim, first fruits, are the first fruits. That's it, first fruits. Tithing is 10%. Two different things. You take the first fruits, you give it to the Kohen, you take it to the temple, you make a declaration. And, what do you, and, and, and what's the tithe? 10% of your produce you give to the Levi, to the Levite. Okay, now, I explained a few weeks ago when we talked about this then, that there's, of the seven-year cycle, so the seventh year is out, because it's not yours, right? Seventh year is God's. But for the six years of the seven-year cycle that you're working your land, there's, it breaks down like this. Year one and two, and f so year, years one and two, and four and five. I'm having trouble with the fingers. But one and two and four and five, have the same protocol, and years three and six have the same protocol. What's the protocol? So year one, and year two, and year four, and year five, you give the first 10% to the levy, and the second 10%, you do another 10%, and you take it to Jerusalem to enjoy yourself. You enjoy it, you eat it, or you sell it, and then you, eat, you buy food in Jerusalem based on those proceeds. You eat it, you enjoy it, you connect with the temple, and you do some spiritual things also while you're there and you support the economy, the local economy, all that good stuff. So that's called Maeser Rishon and Maeser Sheni. Maeser Rishon, the first tithe and the second tithe. So tithe number one is always to the Levite. Tithe number two is to self on, in the first, second, fourth, and fifth year. In the third and sixth year, the second Maeser, the second tithe, goes to the Ani, goes to the poor person. So it, so it goes like this. The first tithe to the Levite, second tithe for you, years one, two, four, five. First tithe to the Levite, second tithe to the poor in years three and six. That's what we're about to pick up on in this very next reading. And I'm gonna now switch to reading from the Chumash because it's gonna give some really good commentary in the parentheses. So stay with me, you can follow along in uh, for, for if you're online, you can follow along with the text over here, and just you'll you'll hear how we're adding a little bit of commentary interspersed in the translation. When you have reached the eve of Passover, on the fourth year of the tithing cycle, which is the end of the period when you may separate all the tithes of your produce for the third year, a year when only the first tithe is separated, which you will give to the Levite. And instead of separating the second tithe, which is eaten in Jerusalem, you shall separate the tithe for the poor, which you will give to the convert, the orphan, and the widow, so that they can eat to their satisfaction in your city. So after all of this is done, all of that was verse 12. It's a lot of 
interspersed text. All that was verse 12. So we're talking about the third year, which would also be the sixth year. Third and sixth year are identical. The third year, you give Meiser Rishon, the first tithe to the Levi. The second tithe is called Meiser Ani to the stranger, orphan, and the widow. So what's the then there's a declaration. Verse 13. Then you shall say before God your Lord the following declaration. Okay? Verse 13. I have removed... So again, this is the beginning of the fourth year. Sorry, the end of the third year. By the way, and it seems like the cycle may begin and end around Passover. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Don't quote me on this. But it says here, Eve of Passover. So when you've reached the Eve of Passover on that fourth year, maybe you had like a six-month grace period, though. I don't know. I'm not sure. But when you've reached the end, sorry, the, the, the Eve of Passover on that fourth year, so it's when, the, no, it says the end of the period when you may separate the tithes of the third year. Okay, so that's, that's when, that, that's when that, that time comes up, for tithing at least. So then you say the following declaration. I have removed the holy portion, the second tithe and the fourth year fruits. I've removed them from the house. I've also separated truma, which goes to the Kohen, and the first fruits, the Bikurim, that we just spoke about in the last reading. I've also given the first tithe to the Levite. I've given, not also, I've given the first tithe to the Levite. I've given the tithe for the poor, to the convert, the orphan, and the widow. I did all this in accordance with, with your command, which you've commanded me about the precise order of separation. So the farmer makes a declaration and says, I've done all of the gifts of the field. I've done the second tithe. I've done the big truma, the, gift, the, the, the first fruits. I've given the first tithe to Levi, the second tithe, or the Maserani to the poor. I've done all of this stuff. And I did all of this in accordance with your command, which you have commanded me about the precise... Oh, I read that already. I've not transgressed your commands about cross-separation. I've not forgotten to bless you. Cross-separation means that we didn't confuse which gift was for whom and for what and for which amount. Everything was allocated appropriately, right? I did not eat any second tithe while I was in a state of mourning. That means the Meiser Shani is eaten by the owner in Jerusalem. I didn't eat that in violation of the, the, the need to eat that in a holy state, in a happy state. So I didn't eat in a state of mourning. I did not consume any of it while in a state of ritual impurity. I did not give any of it for making a coffin or shrouds for the dead. In other words, I didn't misappropriate any of the food or the, the materials or, the, or anything. I ra Rather, I listened to the voice of God, my God, and brought these offerings to the temple. I did everything you commanded me. I rejoiced and brought joy to others. So this is the declaration. Verse 15, we continue. Where, where the farmer says, we have done, we, speaking the royal we, we have done what is incumbent upon us. Now, God Almighty, do what you promised and look down from your holy abode in heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us as you fulfilled the oath that you swore to our, fa our fathers and gave us a land flowing with milk and honey. Essentially what the farmer is saying is that you have given us this land and given us all of these agricultural mitzvot, all of these agricultural obligations. You got to give this gift to this guy and that gift to the other guy and give, give God this and give the Kohen that and give the Levite the other and give the poor person this and this year, that year. Farmer says, I did everything you asked. 
I did this, and I gave that, and I didn't cross them, and I didn't mess up the numbers, I, did, I allocated everything correctly. So now we say, Now we say to God, look down from heaven and bless us, bless your people Israel, and bless the land that you gave us, land flowing with milk and honey. Again, this phrase, land flowing with milk and honey, I think it's the second time already we've had it today. Is that, is that true? Did we have land flowing with milk and honey before? We did in the first reading, yes. So I think, Donna, you mentioned that you love that phrase, land flowing with milk and honey. We have a, a double header today. Both of our readings, we had this phrase. And the point is, we, we turn to God and say, you gave us the land, and you gave us obligations for the land. And we did it. So now you have your obligation. And that is to keep us secure and happy and healthy on, your land, on the land that you gave us. So we did our job. Now you do your job. And, uh, and that's it. And now we have a deal. All right, I want to toggle some Rashis. Let's see if, now the Rashis are going to be probably, not probably, the Rashis are very long because they're explaining all the details of the first tithe and the second tithe and all that good stuff. Um, yeah. Okay, look, it is what, I, I don't think we're going to read all these Rashis. Let me see if there's a short Rashi that we might be able to, to read over here. Um, Uh, ba, 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 ba. No, I, you know, I think I think the 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 some of the commentary of Rashi we have embedded in the Chumash translation, the parentheses, and the other ones are a little bit more of a technical nature that I that I uh, that I, I don't think we should we should jump into right now because it's going to take take too much away from the core idea. The core idea here is this notion of gratitude that comes through in this reading as well. Because it's out of gratitude to God's gift of the land. Gratitude that we have the blessings that we follow through with what God wants. God says, I gave you the land. I gave you this tremendous resource. I gave you a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I ask of you, and I tell you, give back to someone else. Give a gift to the Kohen. Give a gift to the, to the Levi, to the Levite. Give a gift to the poor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger. Give a gift to yourself. And, uh, and it behooves us to do it. So could we translate this into our own lives? Sure. Sure. I mean, we did that with the first reading, but this reading also. If we can turn to God, you know, we're, we're approaching Rosh Hashanah. We're two, we, we determined earlier that we're exactly two weeks out from tonight. Beginning of Rosh Hashanah. Happy New Year. All the holidays are going to be done by end of September. It's crazy, right? Holidays close out in September already. Yeah. Everything's early this year. We have a second Adar. Don't worry, we catch up because we have a, it's a leap year. This coming year is a leap year, which means we have a 13th month, an extra Adar, which then pushes Passover back into, because right now Passover would be, if we didn't have a leap, year, if it wasn't an extra month, it would be like March. It would be like really early. So it pushed us back into like April into where it needs to be. But anyway, the point is like this. As we approach Rosh Hashanah, very rapidly approaching Rosh Hashanah, let's think about the gifts that God has given us. And let's think about our obligation with those gifts. Like right, God gave us 
health. Okay, so what have we done with it? God gave us life, what have we done with it? God gave us resources, what are we doing with these resources? Are we utilizing them to the best of our ability for the purpose of, for which God gave us these gifts? Or are we just using it kind of on our own or for ourselves? And, you know, these declarations remind us, you have a, a farmer that stands before God and says, I've done everything, and now I ask for a blessing. We're all going to stand in Rosh Hashanah and ask for a blessing. Can we turn to God and say, we did everything that we were supposed to do with our resources last year? Right? Think about it that, that way. Can we stand like the farmer and say, you gave me this gift, I gave it here. You gave me that gift, I helped that, that one out. You gave me a third gift, I allocated there. Can we say that? And if we can say that, great. Then we can say, God, look down upon us and give us more this year because you know that we're trusted servants in delivering your blessing to others, sharing your blessing with others. And if not, well, we still have two weeks. We still have two weeks to make, it, to make it happen, to make it count. So let's always think about blessings, not only in terms of self, but in terms of benefiting others. Then the blessings truly become a blessing. I want to conclude with a theme along these lines. Um, we always toast each other, l'chaim. L'chaim. What does the word l'chaim mean? To life. But the truth is l'chaim doesn't just mean to life. It means to life's plural. Chayim is plural. Chai, right? Chai is life. So we should be saying l'chai. No one says that. No one toasts. Everyone has a chai necklace, but no one ever says l'chai. Because that sounds weird. L'chayim, but why? Why not? Chai and chayim, the same word, life. But when a singular one is plural, why do we say l'chayim in the plural? And there's a beautiful answer that's given. And the answer is because life is enjoyed more when it's shared with others. Blessings are enjoyed, are, are enjoyed more when we share with others. There's two bodies of water in Israel, two lakes. Lake Kinneret and, and the Dead Sea. Right? Am I wrong? Yeah. One is salt water, one does not sustain life, and one sustains life. What's the difference? Because Lake Kinneret continues to flow and empties out into the ocean. In other words, it shares its waters with something else. The, the Dead Sea, on the other hand, collects the waters and doesn't share it. When we collect and don't share, it doesn't sustain life. It's not l'chaim. It's l'chai, but no one says it. No one says l'chai. So it doesn't count. Right? It's just, eh. But when we share our gifts, it could be any gifts. It could be money. It could be food. We're talking about food here, right? Farmer's food. It could be money. It could be food. It could be time, expertise, empathy. Whatever it is, whatever we have. When we think about the gifts and we say to ourselves, look, God gave me this gift. How can I use it as a blessing also for others? Then we're thinking along holy terms. Then we're thinking as Torah wants us to think. And then we can stand there Rosh Hashanah and say, God, I'm a trusted partner. You invest in me and look what happens. You give me, you give one person a set of gifts and resources and utilities. You gave me a toolbox and look what I did. I helped that one and that one and I did, fixed that thing and, and gave light there and gave money there. I did all these things. Give me more. And this year, even better. That's the best request. 
best request in Rosh Hashanah is not a selfish ask. It's not, I need this, I want that. It's God, you need me. You need me, God. This is the ultimate sales pitch. God, I know what you want. You want the world to look this way. I can make it happen. Invest in me. Invest in me because I can share the blessings with others. So that's enough said on this topic. I'm, I'm sure it's coming across pretty clear. And this is, I'm not just speaking to you guys. Speaking to myself, right? We can all think about in our own lives how we're utilizing the gifts talents, abilities, resources, everything, opportunities that God has given us. Let's recommit in these last few weeks to, to really share, share the gifts that we have with others. And, uh, and may God bless us with more, even more, exponentially more, so that we can do exponentially more good. All right, thanks for joining. Any questions, comments? Let's start with our online crew. Questions, comments? Thank you so much, Rabbi. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Let me mention this. We have a, a brand new series starting tomorrow night called 60 Days with Mrs. Nomi Freeman. She's an incredible teacher, a gifted teacher. It's, each session is going to explore the time period that we're in, the month of Elul, the month which we're in right now, the upcoming month of Tishrei. It's going to be filled with study and a guided meditation. So join us starting tomorrow night, 8 p.m., more information on our website, intownjewishacademy.org. And then also we have a week from tonight in person. And also a week from tonight, we have our also in person chauffeur factory. So you can actually create your own chauffeur out of a real ram's horn. You take a ram's horn and you saw it, drill it, sand it, polish it. What's the word I'm looking for now? Shellac? You shellac things? I think shellacked. Yes, you paint it. Or whatever. It's painted with something. Finished. We're not going to reveal the exact materials because I don't actually know. I'm not doing it myself. We have a guy coming in to lead the workshop, a friend of mine. Um, he is the J-Crafts guy who does these types of hands-on workshops. So he's going to be doing the chauffeur factory next Monday night. What time? I think we called it for 7 or 7.30. You can check the website for more information. But join us for, it's going to be, especially when we're done with it, it's going to be a blast. Proceed to groan like, ay, blast. Yeah, anyway. I hate to toot my own horn, but it is time also to blow the chauffeur. So let's, uh, I try to be, right? I try to be. Um, looks like we have a chauffeur here. This is not my own personal instrument, but it should get the job done. It looks pretty much similar. So let's do it. There's a tradition this time of year. It looks the same, right? It's not mine, though. No, like mine, like from yesterday, whatever. All right, here we go. Have to get into position. Joking.
pleasure. Not bad. Not bad for an instrument. So make one of these next week. Next Monday night. And then two Monday nights from now, Rosh Hashanah begins. And of course, we got the various services that we're going to do. So join us for that. And a new protocol. We're going to put out a message about exactly how we're going to do services. So stay tuned for that in the next few days. All right. Good. All right. We'll see you guys. Thank you. Have a wonderful. Bye, Olia. Bye, Donna. Bye, Sarah. See you guys. Take care. All right.